Hey y'all, I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 268. Look, shout out to Karen, our best assistant, non-assistant, because your girl, aka me, I did the wrong episode number, and she does our episode guide. So if you're ever like, did you cover something? You can look in the Facebook group, and she's done an episode list. And uh, she said that she was putting it in. She was like, did I miss an episode? Like, a lot of episodes? No, it was me. Instead of a four, I hit a seven. So, hi, it's me. She's the problem, Miss Donna. Yes. <laughs> but it's like the seven's right above the four. So I guess I just fat fingered it. So that's how a number pad on a computer you works? You know what? <laughs> I'm just saying it wasn't completely random. A number slip, a finger slip. Those happen sometimes. But yeah, shout out to her because uh, she let me know and I was like, <laughs> rectified the issue now. Thank you. Meanwhile, Carrie didn't even bat an eye. There are things that I'm good at. That ain't one of them. <laughs> well, guess what she is good at? Having a fucking birthday. Really, I'm not that good at that. No, we just really went to dinner. Terrible. You're really <laughs> fucking terrible at birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> we just went to dinner, uh, Donna, Colby, and I, and that's it. And meanwhile, apparently one of the doctors I work with may have a birthday the same day, question mark. So he was having like a little party at the same place we were, and I was there in my work scrub. So people walked in and were looking at me like, wait, what? This is my party? <laughs> Oh my God. So I got there before them and I had a, like her gift and a thing. And he was like, oh, you're for the party. And I was like, different one. Like, cause I was like, there's no way <laughs> that they made it here. I literally just talked to Colby and he was like, okay, how many? And I was like, three. And he was like, oh, okay. Not that room. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Just fine wherever. It was a rager. The three of us. <laughs> and you know what? I did not know where Carrie was going with something. And so she actually embarrassed me. <laughs> Like, I got red. <laughs> that doesn't happen very often. No, but I don't know what it was on her birthday, but she she embodied me and embarrassed me. Well, I don't even know what I said. You can't, you're leaving them hanging. What did I even well, say? Because our waiter was like really young. And so Colby was like, I know you like done young, but have you done that young? And I was like, I don't even know how old he is. Well, so then when we were paying, he like had the credit card thing and you had to push it in. Well, Colby had like, Pushed it in and like, you know, he's fucking strong. So the little guy was like, Oop. well, so I didn't want to do that. And so I had just like put it in and then I had to hold the bottom and push it in. And she said, what did you say? You said like, get it all the way in there. And I don't, shit, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you'd said that. You never would have said that. I don't know. Your birthday had you on a high. And <laughs> then there was a survey that you had to do. And my phone made a sound and Colby was like, damn, you got something. And she said, no, that was her Tinder alert. I said, oh, you got a Tinder patch. <laughs> yeah, but I did not know what she was saying because, you know, there's a lot to say with me. And I don't know what it was, but I was like, rosy cheeks instantly. I mean, I didn't like ask him to take you on a date or nothing. No, thank you. <laughs> he was really cute, though. He was young. Says the girl who hooked up with a 23-year-old. But did I hook up with him anymore after that? No. I haven't went young that young again, though. If y'all could see my face, if y'all knew <laughs> the things that I know. <laughs> okay, well, speaking of hooking up, Colby's like, we got to do it on the coffee table. Because it's like perfect height. You know, we got to do this on the coffee table. And I was like, okay. So Colby has the ESPN app on his phone. Literally, as we're finishing, the ESPN app was like, da-na-na-na-na-na. Or like, whatever it's little, that yeah. that's like Fox. But um, and Colby goes, I scored a point. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> oh, my God. 
I died. Could not have been better timing. I saw this TikTok and I might have saved it, but I'm sure you've already seen it because you're on Bully Talk. Um, is that what they call it? I don't know. But uh, <laughs> your face. Your... Well, you said talk. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, that's not what they call it. Okay. <laughs> Cut that. No, leave it. That's oh. great. <laughs> Oh, God. Well, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> but it's a bird, and he's like, give me a kiss. And the bulldog's sitting right beside him, and he's, like, not looking at him. And he's like, give me a kiss. And he's, like, trying, and the bulldog keeps looking away, like, mm no, no. I was like, that is a bulldog. 100%. 100%. It was just his face, too, like, get the fuck away from me. I'm not <laughs> doing it. You're not the boss of me. Yeah. Uh, oh, I have a story for y'all. So... Your girl had a hookup this past weekend, and guess who interrupted? Not really, because we were finished, but guess who drove by my house to get something? I don't know who she's talking about. Uh Uh-huh, Colby and Carrie. I'm saying goodbye to him, and I swear to God, I'm looking down my street, and there is a truck that looks like Colby's, and I think about it for a second, and I'm like, well, I don't know who drives that one, because there's a lot of silver ones, but not black ones out here. And so I look, and I guess because I'm looking, like, what the fuck? The guy turns around to look, and then, like, we go on about our business. And then when, <laughs> then when I get inside, I see Carrie's text, and she's like, hey, we're going to come get blah, 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 blah. And then she was like, you were outside. Like, Colby literally said, she's outside. She's never outside. Why is she outside? <laughs> And then they went like a stalker and just sat in front of my neighbor's house. Well, because you said he's leaving. We yeah. were waiting on him to pull out and then get to the stop sign so he could turn and wouldn't see us just immediately turn in. <laughs> Tell him what Colby said he was going to say. Oh, <laughs> Colby said he was going to pull up and be like, Donna, you said 515. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, because what we needed to get, like, if they were inside, we could have come and gone and them never even known we were there. Like, it was not going to be a, like showing up yeah but like they were literally standing outside like that never happens <laughs> we were coming back from his parents house and i was like just run by her house just go by we'll get it it's fine <laughs> no, not that time so we waited like pis <laughs> yes okay we had this discussion at work the other day what something's called okay what's that thing called that um it's a food you shred cheese you put mayonnaise in it and pimentos Pimento cheese? Okay, it's not pimentos and cheese. No? It's pimento cheese, yeah. I've called it pimento and cheese my whole life. And I did a poll at work, and a lot of people call it pimento and cheese. I swear, you said, do you want the pimento? Maybe you only say pimento. Pimento and cheese. Pimento and cheese. Maybe you do say that. I do say that. Because that's what it is. It's pimento and cheese. But it's pimento cheese. I know that now because I Googled it. (laughs) Well, I'm... Also, uh, not smart sometimes because... uh, I never said I wasn't smart. I just said I called it what it actually is. (laughs) Well, I called you not smart on that. Um, But I watched an episode of South Park and I was like, oh, they live in South Park? Did you know that? You watched an episode of South Park? Girl. You really were trying to get that D. But I had no idea that South Park was where they lived. I mean, I really know nothing about South Park. Also, the guy I was watching this with was Carrie Incarnate. Oh my God, because I don't know any characters' names. And so I was like, oh, that guy right there, he looks like uh, Mr. Finney. And Feeney? 
Yes, that's what he said. <laughs> he looked at me and he said, I don't know who that is. And I was like, you know. And he said, Feeny? And I'm like, yes, you could get it from that. <laughs> and he was like, okay, one, that wasn't his name. You know, it's Feeny. And two, you referenced a show that hasn't been on the air and blah, 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 blah. And he said, three, he does. <laughs> he does look <laughs> like him now. Now that's all I can see. But I was like, good God, you are freaking Carrie. I guess instead of how people, like they say you try to date your parents or whatever, we just try to date each other because you True. got Colby, who's me, and I just keep getting these guys that are like, damn. I don't know why it hasn't worked with any of them. I'm pretty great. Mm, I can only tolerate one of you for that long. <laughs> but you know who I hope can tolerate us? Patreoners! Oh, that was good. I'm proud of us. <laughs> So thank you so much, Carrie K. from Florida. Christine H. from Colorado. Anastasia F. from Georgia. Rebecca S. from Illinois. And Melissa D. from Colorado. Colorado's coming in strong. Thank y'all so much for joining us on Patreon. Uh, If you want an episode shout-out and all of the extra good good that they're getting on Patreon, you gotta head over to patreon.com slash theapcpodcast. Okay, speaking of... The boys that come over. It's a test, like, how they treat Marley. Yes. You know what I mean? We're not, like, a lot of this is just sex, you know? So it's not like they're going to be like, whatever. But you know she likes to smell breath. Yeah. And you know she will, she will not take no for an answer. Yes. And so a lot of them just like, ugh. Not ugh, but like, I just don't let let her up there. Well, the guy last night, he was like, here, you want another whiff or whatever? I was like, aw, he gets her. I will say, if we weren't BFFs and you're like, my dog wants to smell your breath, that would be so weird to me. <laughs> no, Ashlyn won't let her smell her breath. Oh, God. And Marley will be like nose to nose with her. And Ashlyn's like, not going to do it. And Marley's like breathing in, like trying to do it. I don't know what is. She has no boundaries, just like me. This we know. All right. Before we get into the episode, we got to talk about apostrophe. Well, how Carrie's on Bully Talk. I'm on Skin Talk, and all I hear is stuff that I still don't understand, but I don't need to because you know what? I use Apostrophe, and Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team to get customized treatment for your unique skin. Through Apostrophe, you can get access to oral and topical medications that use clinically proven ingredients to help clear acne, help with fine lines and wrinkles, discoloration on your face, whatever your skin goals are. Why'd you have to look at me when you said that? Yes, I have fine lines and wrinkles. Yes, I have hyperpigmentation. Yes, I have rosacea. Well, how does Apostrophe know that you need those things to connect you with your dermatology team? You fill out an online consultation and you're like, hey, this is my medical history. Hey, this is my skin goals. You click, 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 couple little selfies, you know, a little turn to the left. Uh, Okay, no, you got that? No, you can do it. Okay. It really does do that. You want it front, side, the other side. And a board certified dermatologist will create your initial customized treatment plan. And like Carrie has said many times over, Apostrophe's bread and butter is acne. Everything from facial acne, back knee, chest knee, butt knee. Butt knee sounds like a last name. I could see that. Rachel Butt knee. Don't know who she is. <laughs> Rachel, are you out there? Apostrophes for you, girl. <laughs> but it's for everyone because right now you can get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash creep when you use promo code creep. And look, you're going to want to do this because the unboxing experience in itself is worth it because you get it, you get stickers, so you can put it all over your bottle. So like you don't even have to pick it up to know if it's your nighttime or morning time. It, you could put your little 
sun, moon, a.m., p.m. It had all the little things so that you can personalize your own bottles. Also, it gets shipped to your door so you don't have to go to the pharmacy to pick it up. And, you know, it really simplifies it for you because that's what I need in my life. Simplification. Because there are all these things that people are saying, you need this, you don't need this, you need to do this, you need this type of, I don't know, retinol, whatever. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. So can you just tell me what I need for what I want with my skin? And Apostrophe does that for you. To get your first visit for only $5, like I said, go to apostrophe.com slash creep and use your promo code creep. That's a savings of $15. So go to apostrophe.com slash creep. That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash creep. You're going to click get started and then use our promo code creep at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. And y'all, one more thing before we get started. Uh, BetterHelp is back and this episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. She had some shoulder action when she said it. Oh, look, I'm so excited to have a better version of me. Us too, girl. Us too. Hey, love me for who I am, (laughs) ma'am. I do, but BetterHelp helps you. BetterHelp is an online platform that connects you with licensed therapists to help you, well, like we said, become a better you. We've all thought about doing therapy. Like we've thought about it. We've been like, man, I really need to find somebody in the area. I need to schedule it. I need to just see if my insurance takes it. Like I just need to get this done. And we don't do it. And by we, I mean me. But BetterHelp makes that process so easy for you. You fill out a brief questionnaire and that gets you matched with a licensed therapist. But to me, the best part is that it is entirely online. So you don't have to leave work. You're not sitting in a waiting room. You're not doing all the things that make it so hard to go to therapy. Right. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So like Carrie mentioned, you go on, you fill out that brief questionnaire, you get matched with a therapist, but you can switch therapist at any time for no additional charge. So that lets one roadblock be out of there. You can't say, well, what if I don't like my therapist? Well, it's not going to charge you anything to change therapist. Because we've all had that person like, okay, you go to the doctor and you just don't job with them. You feel like they didn't listen to you, yada, yada, yada. And you try to change doctors and it's like, well, why do you want to change? You know, if you want to change within that practice and it's hard, but not with better help. You're able to switch anytime for no additional charge, which for me is a huge deal. Because if I don't feel like somebody gets me, it's not going to help. Exactly. And BetterHelp wants you to discover your potential. Go to BetterHelp and let a licensed therapist help you on your journey of whatever you want to work on. So go to BetterHelp.com slash APC to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash APC. Okay, so I kind of feel like I've done y'all dirty these past couple weeks with some serious heavy hitters. Uh, yeah, you have. So we're making it super light this week. I mean, it's still true crime, but like (laughs) as light as you can possibly make a true crime story. Okay. I don't know what I'm in for because you're like smiling, that little shit eating grin. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's not. It's not. Okay. It's not. Okay. We've all heard of Frank Sinatra, right? Yes. Old blue eyes, the crooner of all crooners, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Very, very handsome. Do you think he's handsome? No. Of course you don't. You don't like anything old. <laughs> I like Except for your men. men. <laughs> but like if he was old right now, you'd be like, yeah, I kind of can see it. But because he's like from a long time ago, you're like, man, yeah. not, not so much. Yeah. Like the dapper and stuff, like that dapper look that you love. Any picture that's fucking black and white, Carol be like, oh, he's handsome. I'm the exact opposite. Colby played me a, um, a TikTok. You know the guy uh, that played um, 
uh, he played, was it Fred? Was that his name? On Sanford and Sons, the, the dad. Red Fox? Yes. I kept wanting to say Red, but I was like, maybe it's Fred. Anyway, yes, him. Colby showed me a TikTok the other day that one time he was about to lose everything because he hadn't paid his taxes. Like, they were, like, emptying his house, like, taking everything. And he owned a club. So, he was really good friends with Frank Sinatra, like, the whole Rat Pack kind of thing. So, they were like, all right. They basically canceled their schedules and came and played at his club for, like, two weeks to get him money to be able to pay his taxes like get back on his feet and all which was like what a good friend you know yeah yeah he still didn't pay his taxes but he got the money oh my god also i am so conditioned by you and colby you said club and i immediately thought golf club (laughs) and i thought like he had this famous golf club Okay, so Frank Sinatra had three kids. He had Nancy that was born in 1940, Frank Jr. that was born in 1944, and Christina, who was known as Tina, who was born in 48. So Frank Jr. wasn't actually a junior because he was Francis Wayne Sinatra, and Frank Sinatra had a different middle name. His was Albert. So technically he wasn't a junior, but that was like kind of his, he was just known as Frank Jr. Yeah, yeah. The country version of that is when you call the dad, like, Big Blah and the uh, kid Little Blah. Yes. Yeah. That's what was in my family. So, Frank Sinatra was married to a lady named Nancy, but he had a crap ton of extramarital affairs. And he was never home with his kids because he was always on the road performing and, and whatnot. He just wasn't really part of his kids' lives. But... He eventually had an affair with Ava Gardner, and that's who his wife finally was like, fine, we can divorce, like, you can go be with her. But, like, he's Frank Sinatra was married, like, five times. So I don't really know how close he was to his kids, but as Frank Jr. got older, he wanted to follow in the family footsteps and become a performer himself. So when Frank Jr. was 19, he was on the road performing at a bunch of different locations. While all this is going on, there's a guy named Barry Keenan. Barry Keenan was a, like, grammar school classmate of Nancy Sinatra, who's Frank Jr.'s sister. He had gone to school at UCLA and had been involved in this car accident that gave him a lot of chronic pain, like, with his back and all of that. And, unfortunately, he got addicted to Percodin, different muscle relaxers. You know how they were back in the day. They're like, here's a tranquilizer. Like, <laughs> yes, it's for horses. It's fine. Take it. Well, people are like that with COVID, too. But because of all this addiction, he had a really hard time with money because he was trying to get pills and stuff. So Barry Keenan, who, you know, I was just telling you all about, got it in his head that he needed to find a quick fix to make some money so that he could invest it and get back on his feet. So him and a guy that he went to school with, Joe Amsler, got with... Barry Keenan's mom's ex-boyfriend. Sorry, I know that's a lot of people. What in the world? John Irwin. So we got Barry, Joe, and John. And they made a plan. They decided that they were going to kidnap Frank Jr. Oh, shit. At first, they were like, we should kidnap Bob Hope's son. Because, you know, Bob Hope was huge (laughs) back then. But they were like, you know what? That's un-American. We can't kidnap Bob Hope's son. Not Bob Hope. <laughs> I mean, he's doing the USO tour. We can't be doing Bob Hope's son. That's un-American. Did he always do the telethon shit? Yeah, I think. I feel like for, like, I always for got, the kids. I always got Bob Hope and Bob Newhart mixed up, which they are nowhere near each other. Remember the Bob Newhart show that would always come on Nick at night? No. Okay, love you, bye. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's like, 
he would always like, it's for the kids. Like, call in, blah, 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 blah. I can't, I feel like, but he always did like the USO tours, like where he would like go and sing Imagine to the, that, that, oh, he was a singer? I think, and like perform and stuff. I feel like he was. Oh. <laughs> I don't fucking know. I mean, what else would you do? Comedy? Yeah, he sang. I don't, I'm totally making this up. I have no idea. But I think that's kind of like Bing Crosby's character in White Christmas is kind of supposed to be like Bob Hope. Never saw it. You've never seen White Christmas? Okay, we have literally talked about this. Karen, how many times? <laughs> okay, I, I got Colby to watch it uh, when we very, very first got together, and we had to stop in the middle and have sex. So he like he was like, I think he just did it so we would, would have to watch yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. It's my favorite Christmas movie. Y'all suck so bad. Okay, <laughs> back to Frank Jr. Because Bob Hope's son would be un-American. Right. So they decided, like I said, they were going to kidnap him. They had a plan, and they tried to do their plan multiple times, but, like, it always failed. Like, they tried one time in L.A., they tried one time in Arizona. All I'm picturing is the Scooby-Doo intro where that hand comes out of the trap door, maybe, or something. Do you know what I'm talking Mm -hmm. about? And it's, like, almost didn't get it. (laughs) Yes. So they found out that Frank Jr. was performing in Lake Tahoe, Nevada, did you think Lake Tahoe was in California? Because I did. Yeah. And apparently it's in Nevada. Anyway. What the fuck? I know. We know nothing. So he was going to perform in Lake Tahoe. And then from there, he was going to Europe. Because by the time he was like 19, he had performed in almost every state in like 30 countries. Like, I mean, Bob Hope could never. <laughs> Just kidding. But like, for real, he he was a jet setter performing, trying to make a name of himself because it was like, I feel like his dad's name got him a foot in the door, but then also people were extra critical of him because he was Frank Sinatra's son, you know? Yeah. So the Three Stooges were like, it's now or never if we're going to kidnap him because he's about to go to Europe. So they decided that on December 8th, 1963, they were going to kidnap him. This was just like two weeks after JFK was assassinated. So this is like the world is disheveled because he was assassinated November 12th, 1963. And then they decided to kidnap Frank Sinatra. Did I say November? What did I say? I think I said December 12th and it's not that. November 22nd of 1963. And then they were enacting their plan to kidnap him on December 8th. Things are chaos, right? I mean, the FBI is busy. Like, shit's chaos. And I feel like the world was in mourning. So... Frank Jr. was performing at Harris Club Lodge on that Sunday night at 9 o'clock. Barry and Joe knock on Frank Jr.'s hotel room. They say that they've got this package to deliver. And when they get in there, Frank is hanging out with a guy named John Foss. Now, he is a trumpet player in Frank Jr.'s band. But, like, John Foss wasn't supposed to be there. Like, in their plan, it was just Frank Sinatra. Well, Jr., They're, like, eating chicken, doing their thing before they're set, I'm assuming. But, like, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting they were eating chicken. Why is that a detail? But it is. Barry pulls out a gun and is like, give me money. And then they tied up John Foss because he's inconsequential to their plan. Like, he's actually maybe not completely inconsequential because he's fucking up their plan. But, like, just tie him up. Get him out of the way. They blindfolded Frank Jr. and told him to walk out to their car that they had parked, like, right there. Basically, as soon as they walked out the door, John Foss was like, and I just untie this. Basically, kids doing this, they they fucked up all over the place. So he immediately calls police. So the police set up all kinds of roadblocks because, like, it literally just happened. And then the guy called the police. Like, they're going to stop them. Barry and Joe told Frank Jr., like, look, we want money. Just, we know we're probably going to get stopped. You better just play along. 
So they actually did get stopped in a roadblock, but Frank Jr. played along and they were able to just go like the the cops didn't know that that's who that was. And so they just lied their way through the roadblock. They took him about 400 miles away to a suburb of L.A. By 940, the FBI was already involved. They met with Frank Sinatra Sr., who was in Reno, and Junior's mom, who was in Bel Air. They were like, this has got to be about money. So they told Frank Sinatra if and when they call and they demand a ransom, pay it so we can then track the money. So the next day, John Irwin, who was their co-conspirator, calls Frank Sr. He told him, like, hang out. We're going to call you back with the information. All this had to be done on payphones. Like, they told him, like, you have to go to this payphone to talk to us. The kidnappers asked for $240,000. Now, that's like $2 million in today's money. Apparently, Frank Sinatra was like, you want that? You want a million? I'll give you a million. Like, just give me back my son. And that would be like $9 million in today's money. So, he was like, take it. Take it all, you yeah. know? So, December 10th is when they made the demand for the money. So, Frank Sr. gave the money to the FBI, who made the drop. So, they were instructed to leave the money between two school buses. And the FBI is the one who made the drop. So, Joe and Barry go to pick the money up, like, early morning, December 11th. So, basically, timeline, he had been with them, like, two days. While the two knuckleheads were gone to pick up the money, John Irwin got panicky. Like, real nervous, and he was like, okay, uh... You can go and just let Frank Sinatra Jr. go. I feel like John would be me. Like, I'd be like, I think they're setting me up for something. Like, I'm here with him. Like, I would just get, I'd get twitchy. So, Frank Jr. starts walking and is found in Bel Air just walking around. Not, like, confused. Just, like, walking, trying to get home. And he tells a security guard, like, hey, this is who I am. I've been, like, can you take me to my mom's house? So, to avoid the press and all of that at the mom's house... He gets in the security guard's trunk and is taken over to his mom's house so that nobody would, you know, see him like sitting in the passenger seat rolling up. I feel like he got more kidnapped by him. (laughs) I thought the same thing. I was like, wow, that's trauma on top of trauma. Yeah. (laughs) But like, it probably was partly his idea. Like, you know, like it was, but but still, yes, I, I was like that. Wow. That's like literal trauma on top of trauma. So, Frank Jr. tells the FBI everything he knows. I barely saw him. I only heard the voice of the third person. But it didn't take police long. They found the location where he was being held. They found fingerprints on an envelope, fingerprints on a roll of tape. They were working to find out everything they needed to find out to make this case. But how Donna said she's John Irwin, she really is. Because he went to see his brother right after all this happened. Like, you know, they were like, let's lay low, let's go play, you know, whatever. He went and saw his brother and spilled the beans. Yep, exactly what I would have done. So the brother calls the FBI and is like, uh, so my brother was one that did this. And just like within hours, all three of them were arrested and they got almost all the money back. Oh, well, good. So a lot of people, and I feel like from what I can read, even to this day, there are people that believe that Frank Sinatra Jr. had been part of this. It was all a stunt for publicity to kind of get his name out there. Like people truly believe that he was part of this. But there was like a confession letter written by Barry Keenan that he had left in a safety deposit box. Do you call it safety deposit box or safe deposit box? A safe deposit box? Yeah, I say safety deposit. Oh. It's not that. But I will never stop saying that. Just <laughs> just, just, no. And I'll never stop saying pimento and cheese. 
Or arguing. Touche. Basically, they had evidence proving that Frank Sinatra Jr. did not play a part in this, and people still believe he did. Barry and Joe were both sentenced to life in prison plus 75 years. John Irwin was sentenced to 75 years. They got more time than some people who murder people. Exactly. So, but eventually their sentences were reduced from life in prison to 25 years. All in all, Joe and John both served three and a half years and Barry only served four and a half years. And after Barry got out of prison, he like lived his best life. He like ended up being worth like $17 million. He got in real estate. In 1999, all three Stooges were offered some money to, like, make a film of it. But Frank Jr. was like, absolutely not, and sued to stop it from happening because California had a statute that says that felons can't profit off of the stories of their crimes, which I'm like, while I get that, but aren't there so many films on stuff like this? Like, what's the workaround on that? And is this statute still there? I mean, think about Dom. I mean, all these things that we watch that are like, how how do they work around that, I wonder? Well, but they're not profiting. True. Well, Barry Keenan was like, well, this violates my First Amendment rights from being able to, like, have this come out, yada, yada, yada. Long time in the courts, but Frank Jr. eventually won. There is a This American Life from 2002 where Barry Keenan was on. There is a bunch of stuff you can listen and watch about it. So Frank Jr. ended up passing away in 2016 when he was 72. I found this article. Okay, now I should preface this with this is from the Daily Mail. Frank Jr. was like the eternal bachelor. He did get married once, but when he died, he had a a daughter named Francine Sinatra Anderson, Natalie Scalia, and Francis Wayne Sinatra. But then he had a son named Michael. Now, Michael was basically like the only kid that he even acknowledged that he had. But none of Frank Jr.'s kids, which would have been Sinatra's grandkids, were allowed to have anything in the will because Frank Sinatra's philandering ass put a clause in his will that basically was like only the people born in wedlock or lawfully adopted could inherit his money. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because he had all these affairs. I mean, it's terrible. They're your kids. You need to take care of your kids. But like he put that clause in there so that none of his kids that were born out of a marriage or their grant or, you know, or their, his grandkids Mm -hmm. would have access to his money. Yeah. That's shitty. So I was like, what? When I saw that Michael is the only one of Frank Jr.'s kids to get any of his money. He's basically getting Frank Jr.'s $50 million estate. Like Frank Jr. did pay alimony for some of the kids, but never Natalie. And so when Natalie, it was time for her to go to college, her mom sued him and being like, you've never paid anything. Like, give me the money now. And she had to go to court to prove that Natalie was his kid and wanted and all of that. Natalie's mom, who, by the way, basically all of his kids, except for Michael's moms, all of their mom's names were Mary. Different moms, but they were all Mary's. So her mom produced a receipt to show that they were in room 141 at the Holiday Inn at Chicago's O'Hare Airport and that, that they intended on her getting pregnant that night because on the side of the note, it said, the weekend we made Natalie. Oh, shit. Yeah, so she had that to submit. And then she had a receipt that showed where Frank Jr. had paid $1,500 in pregnancy-related medical bills, but, quote, chose not to attend the birth. 
and that um like a month after she was born she had um receipts of their flight where he flew them out to view his daughter for the first time so like she had all the receipts yeah so he was like wow she's about to take me for a lot of money so okay 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 let's settle how about i just pay for her college and the mom was like fine well and i feel like that shows mary's integrity right there because she could have been like oh no we're gonna keep going to get all the other money and stuff Mm -hmm. but she's like no i really just want what's best for our daughter like one of the women ended up writing to frank senior to be like i don't want anything from you i just want you to know about your granddaughter and he was like pissed because junior like never told him and he didn't even know he had this granddaughter and all this stuff well it's not like he cared frank senior and frank jr seemed like bastards they were they were and you want to be like it was the time no don't have affairs yes and then like To have affairs, then be like, have nothing to do with them and stuff. And, you know, like all the things. It's like, oh, God. And then like literally specifically set it up to where those kids have no money. Like not no money, but like you're not taking care of them. Like you to do what you're supposed to do as a parent. Mm -hmm. I do like this one because it was a lot lighter. I told you it was lighter. Yeah. But it makes me mad because the Sinatras had the audacity. Those men were just like, ugh. I really want to know, did Frank Jr. have issues following his kidnapping? Like, I don't know. I'm kind of on the side that he was in on it. Because one of them was an old classmate of her. Like, they knew each other. Mm-hmm. Well, and then that they didn't kill the guy he was with. Which I know, like, not everyone always kills the person. But, like, if they really wanted to get away with it, I feel like they would have done something more than just leave him there. Yeah. I mean, thank God they did. Oh, yeah. Thank God they did. But also, like, I know why Frank junior would go along with them to be like yep everything's good whatever but they hadn't killed that guy but they did have a gun and you yeah. don't know what somebody's gonna do because if this was an episode of i survived we would be like yeah that was so good that she went with him and yeah to try, try to trick you're him right. and all that i think because he's a shyster in the uh, so i'm taking that and you're right he might have been traumatized from this and honestly he lived no differently than his dad did he did what he knew but that's not okay either no i know but i'm saying it's Sometimes those things are generational. Yeah. Also, though, you know, like, he's trying to make a name for himself. And no, like, that. those cops were like, who? Like, oh, okay, you go through. Because they had no idea who he was. Mm-hmm. And he did have some, like, TV stuff and blah, blah, blah. Not blah. enough, because no one noticed him. But I am glad he survived. And the other guy survived. And I'm honestly glad they didn't get life in prison. I know. I felt like, which, I mean, because this feels like a little, like, jokey kind of. It was just kind of a bumbling kidnapping. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, sure, serve time. Like, do some hard time. But life in prison when people don't get that for rape. And And murder. mm -hmm, And you put them back on the street and you're like, cool, cool, cool. But these people kidnapped an adult. And I don't know. I just feel like that was harsh sentencing. Well, and honestly, they probably did it at the beginning because of the name. Mm -hmm. So would Sally Sue down the streets, kidnappers, who was 19, gotten the same, you know? Mm -mm. Which is shit, too. If you're going to do that harsh of a sentence, do it for everyone. Well, hopefully y'all liked that little lighter of a story because I had been pretty brutal these last couple weeks. Yeah, those stories that you've been doing have stuck with me. Well, before we get into yours, we got to talk about HelloFresh. And y'all know your girls over here love HelloFresh. I thought you were going to say, you know your girls over here love to eat. That's true too. But we love HelloFresh and we were using HelloFresh long before they became sponsors of this podcast. I don't know why I said podcast like that, but it's because I'm so excited that HelloFresh is back. 
So say hello to fresh ingredients, fresh new recipes, all of the goodness. Grocery shopping, the prices are outrageous right now. So this is the perfect time to start with HelloFresh. It's cheaper than grocery shopping and it's 25% less expensive than takeout. And again, it's shipped to your door. You can answer the door in your underwear and get your box. I mean, I wouldn't answer it while they're standing there, but you could (laughs) open your door after they've walked away. Yes. HelloFresh has 40 weekly recipes that you can choose from. And there's different meal plans. So you could do like, hey, I want to focus on protein. I want it quick and easy. I want it family friendly. Whatever you want. And if you're like me and you don't like to cook meat, you can get vegetarian. And it's so good. But with 40 weekly recipes to choose from, you're going to be rotating out meals. So you're never going to get tired of the same old, same old. So even when I was single and I wanted to make something like, let's say spaghetti. Well, dang, I don't want to eat leftovers for four weeks because I cooked this big pot of spaghetti. Whereas with HelloFresh, you can decide how many people you want it to feed. So whether it's two, four, or however many are in your family. So the meal's can be the exact size that you need. Let's say it's a meal for two. You do get leftovers for the next day, but it's not leftovers for the entire week where you're having to eat the same thing over and over again. Yeah, there's no waste because it's all pre-portioned. Also with HelloFresh, you're getting seasonal ingredients. That means that ingredients travel from the farm to your home in less than seven days. So again, HelloFresh. That was good. Oh, thank you. See what you did there. So to save time, not be wasteful, you know, most importantly, save money. So head on over to HelloFresh.com slash Creep50 and use promo code Creep50 for 50% off your first order. And you know what else? Your first box is going to ship free. So go to HelloFresh.com slash Creep50 and use code Creep50 for 50% off. And plus, your first box ships free. One more time, head on over to HelloFresh.com slash Creep50, you know, 5 like the popo, to get 50% off your order and the first box ships free. Y'all, attitude is back. I literally slept like a baby last night on these sheets. In these sheets. What do you say? On or in? In. I'm in bed, but I'm on the sheets. You know, your bed partner didn't sleep good with your snoring, but that's because you were so out of it because you were so comfortable. And let me tell you this. I got to be premenopausal. I'm so tired of waking up hot and sweating, and I don't do it on Etitude's clean bamboo sheets. These sheets are so luxurious and soft, smooth as freaking silk, but way more breathable than cotton, and even better yet, It's hypoallergenic. The thing about Etitude's clean bamboo sheets, they've been performance tested against their competitors and found more effective to keep you at your optimal comfort level and body temperature. So that's why you love it so much. Etitude is sustainable bedding made with the world's first non-toxic bamboo fabric. It's seriously so buttery soft. You're not going to wake up from irritations or allergens with Etitude's clean bamboo sheets. Etitude is not only good for your sleep, it's good for the environment. They use less water, chemicals, energy to make bamboo eco-friendly sheets. And every purchase gives back 1% to environmental nonprofits. Etitude sheets use 99% less water than cotton. That's over 500,000 water bottles saved. That's more than my fingers and toes can count. If you had 500,000 toes and fingers, (laughs) they'd all feel great in Etitude sheets. Look, and Etitude comes in cute colors. I have pink. I have a sky blue. 
So right now, Etitude is offering 25% off your first betting order with promo code CREEP. So go to Etitude.com, that's E-T-T-I-T-U-D-E dot com slash CREEP. That's going to get you $25 off your betting order. So you got to go, Etitude.com slash CREEP. And again, you can try Etitude's clean bamboo sheets for 30 nights, risk-free, And when you return them, no questions asked. That's a lot of bang for your buck. So head on over to edituDe.com slash creep. All right. So for my story, I'm just going to preface this and say, I'm going to fuck up the pronunciation because I'm not fisticated, but I'm talking about a winery. So I'm talking about the Belvoir Winery. I want to say like Belvoir, but they said Belvoir, but it's also known as the Oddfellows Home. So as always, let's talk a little bit about the history. So back in the day, there was like this 240-acre farm in Liberty, Missouri. Well, in 1900, the Independent Order of the Oddfellows bought the location and decided that they were going to build some shit there. Just FYI, uh, there is like a hurricane coming outside. So if you hear thunder, uh, that's what it is. Because it's just like a steady rumble right now. It is. It's not my stomach for the first time. So before I tell you their plans and what they did, let me tell you about what the IOOF, as it's abbreviated, is. It was officially organized in the U.S. in 1819 by Thomas Wildey of Baltimore, but he was from London. However, before this time, so some say it was like medieval times that this all came about, but others say probably in the early 1600s, late 1700s, that's when the Oddfellows was basically like formalized. They're a fraternity slash secret society of men, and they used Christian values and wanted to help out their fellow brethren kind of thing. And their whole thing was like, visit the sick, help the distressed, bury the dead, and educate the orphan. So again, they're all about giving back to the less fortunate, all the things. Now, if you've heard about the Oddfellows, you know that they were doing some ritual kind of stuff, but it's not like taboo rituals that, you know, you think of secret society rituals and then you're like, oh shit. Now it could have been because hello, it's a secret society. So we really don't know what all happened, but it doesn't seem like that kind of thing. But there was one ritual where members would have to do something with a skeleton. Like they said, encounter the skeleton, but it was basically like you'd be I don't know, blindfolded and like have to reach out and touch this. And then like, you know, they take off the blindfold and they're like, enjoy your life because you're going to die and this will be you at one point. So do good while you're here. But here's the thing. They used real skeletons. But I think the people whose skeletons they used donated it to science after it was used to science and they had been a part of the Oddfellas is when they had used the skeleton. But all of the skeletons were named George. And now, like, they use paper mache stuff. Like, they don't use real skeletons. Or so they say. So, throughout the time since they were first founded, they expanded to become international. Hence, the order of the IOOF chartered in the States. So, they decided to have, like, a little compound or community on this large farmland. And, you know, we've talked about almshouses before. And that's where the poor or people with mental illness could live and kind of pay for their board and their room. So what the Oddfellows wanted to do was kind of like a modern facelift to that. 
So they had actually purchased the land with a wooden building on it and used that as the first building. Well, they had plumbing in there and no one really knew what to do when it got cold. So one of the pipes froze and one of the workers came in, noticed that the pipe was frozen and was like, oh, I can get this. Perfect. Guess what they did? What? Got a blowtorch, put it like right here. Here's the spot. I'm going to warm it up. Good. Yeah. Well, the whole building was engulfed in flames by the end of that because it was a wood building. No casualties other than the building itself, but it burned to the ground. Anyway, getting ahead of myself. So the IOF, the Oddfellows, they built, I think, four buildings all together. I'm not going to list it out by which year was done because, you know, math is not my thing. But it was an orphanage, an old folks home, a hospital and a nursing home. Now, I thought old folks home and nursing home was the same, but they kept saying different things. So I don't understand that. Also, who says old folks home? A lot of people, apparently. And kind of like a lot of other places that would have these compounds, they had a working farm and also a cemetery. It kind of reminds me of all the tuberculosis places where like, you know, these people would live away from community, you know? So Mm -hmm. like they had their own community. They were self-reliant and all the things. So that's kind of how this was. Now, the cemetery was offered for anyone who was staying at the Oddfellows buildings. Since most of the people didn't have means for other burial arrangements, they were buried on that property. Also, any of the current IOOF members at the time of their death could be buried there as well. So in total of all these buildings over all the years, they said more than 10,000 people died, but Only around 600 people were buried there. So the hospital was the only hospital in Liberty for a while. And every time I say Liberty, I want to say it like the insurance commercial. Mm -hmm. It was exclusive for the Oddfellows and the residents on the property. But it became a little outdated. The hallways were too narrow for the equipment and the beds and everything. So that's when the nursing home was built. And also at this point, the orphanage wasn't needed as much because of different laws that had passed and, you know, childcare, all the things. So it actually became leased by the city for a school because they started having overcrowding. And so they did this. Well, on the big seance podcast, Jesse, who is the owner now, he said there are people who attended the school that have come back and told him that, The old people, you know, elderly people, it was like an overrun. And so some of them were on the first floor and the school was kind of on the second floor then. And the old people would just, I don't know, make a game of it and scare the kids as soon as they entered the place. So they ended up having to do like a separate entrance for the kids. Oh my God. Because I mean, old people going to be old people. But I just thought that was so funny. Anyway, so everything had closed besides the nursing home. And that's when Jesse Lamkuller's in-laws purchased the property in the 1990s. They bought it from the Oddfellows. It had been broken down into different plots. And so it was only about 30 acres, but it had all of the buildings. And the family's dream was to restore the life of the buildings and become a winery. And that's just what they did. Well, they actually started renovating the parents' And they did have the nursing home for a little bit until it just was outdated and they closed it. 
But Jesse and his wife took over the whole project and turned it into what it is today. So the building they updated was the orphanage. The first floor is their winery, and then upstairs they've renovated that to an inn. And it's like a really popular venue for weddings and all the things. But newlyweds are not the only people interested in this property because they've been on several ghost shows, like the OG Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures with Dybbuk Douche, and Kindred Spirits. And so why are they so interested? Glad you ask. <laughs> well, people have heard disembodied voices, mostly children, phantom footsteps. There's even been some EVPs of nursery rhymes. Like once when a woman was on a tour, she sang Ring Around the Rosy, like just that part. And right after the first line was sang, everyone in that group heard a small child voice sing Pocket Full of Posies. That's creepy, but did you know that's about the plague? Yes. That's, I was going to say that. No, 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 Of course you did. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, it's even creepier that that's the yes. song. People have heard piano music, and they've seen weird lights in different parts of the place. And, of course, some shadow people who like to dart around corners of the old buildings. There's also been several doors that open and close by themselves, and phantom sounds of doors, like... Did that door just close? Like, no, it's still open or vice versa. Over the first two years that the inn was open, 16 guests left in the middle of the night from all the activity. Jesse said he actually saw an apparition of a little boy and he was dressed in outdated clothes standing by the fireplace. He was in a red shirt, blue pants, and brown boots. And I was like, that sounds like Carrie's kind of PJs right there. You're not wrong. Anyway, so he was like, oh yeah, so that's weird that a kid's there, but also that this kid was completely visible to him, but like he's transparent because Jesse saw the fireplace through the kid, which you know, isn't normal. His daughter also had an experience. So one day while Jesse was in the ballroom, he was working and his daughter started roaming around, went down the hall and he heard her say, mommy, mommy. And then he heard a female voice say, well, hello, little one. Creepy. Jesse went into the hallway to see who his daughter was talking to, and no one else was in the building. People also feel like a kid's tugging on their shirts or their pants leg, trying to get their attention, and that's when they're in the orphanage, which is the winery now. A former employee, Brian, had some of his photography equipment moved from like his bag that was on the floor where he had left it just a few minutes, went upstairs to do something, came back down, and it was all like rummaged through and like put in different places. He was the only person in that building at that point. One of the most seen apparitions is an older man. He stays around the old hospital and people just feel like a moody energy with him. Not so much that he's mad, but just like crotchety, you know? But they said like a lot of the stuff in the old hospital is still there. Like some medications, some, you know, records, nurses, uniforms, all the things. And they're like, I mean, if you were haunting a freaking hospital, like you'd be kind of crotchety too, if that's where you had to, like your last days were there and then you're stuck there. Mm -hmm. I was like, I totally get that. Oh God. Especially if they worked there. Oh, my God. So there was a couple staying in room seven of the inn, and they said they heard someone in their bathroom all night, but obviously no one was in there. But sometimes the lights even flickered. 
There was another incident where a guest saw someone they said looked like a school teacher back in the day. Like her hair was pulled back tight and her clothes were not from this period. But I was like, isn't that a saying like a school marm? Mm -hmm. So like I totally pictured that person. Honestly, it looked like someone from Anne with the E. That's what I was kind of picturing. God, that was such a good show. It really was. So the first people there were the OG ghost hunters back in the day. And they interviewed a guest that had been at the winery, Heather Sutton. And she said that when she was there, she felt like something was holding her to the ground and had pressure on her body. Like she was terrified. And then all of a sudden she could get up. But when she was getting up, she felt kind of lightheaded and she didn't know what had happened. Two of the team, Britt and Michelle, they set up shadow detectors in the old folks home and Britt witnessed a large black mass moving across the doorway in the hallway she was walking down. Can we just say that I hate that it's called that? Me too, I know. Also, they were able to get responses with flashlights when they were asking questions. And so they were like, okay, this isn't all residual. Like, this is intelligent. Yeah, maybe that old man is residual and some of the, you know, phantom footsteps or whatever. But something is here that is directly communicating with us. So when Jason and Steve were in the winery, they ended up chasing some footsteps because they're like, someone had, like, I heard these footsteps. Where did they go? Couldn't find anyone. Had a lot of odd noises there. And it even sounded like someone was knocking on the door. Also in the winery, Amy and Adam, who later went on to do Kindred Spirits, they were on the team and they were getting ready to sing some songs because, again, they were trying to elicit a response from the kids. And they were correct because they uttered the first line again of Ring Around the Rosie and they heard children laughing and little scampering noise like little footsteps. And then they heard a piano playing. Well, then a couple of years later, Ghost Adventures went there and they heard footsteps and knocking again. They also heard a low growl and then some children singing. Zach said he was grabbed on the wrist and he felt like icy cold around his wrist. And then Billy was doing an EVP session and he ended up slipping kind of into like a trance-like state where he stayed there for two hours. Well, Aaron was like, what in the fuck is going on? Like, where the fuck is Billy? So he went back to see what was going on. Billy was unresponsive for a minute. You know, like Aaron had to like rouse him back up. And the minute he came to, Billy thought he had only been there for like two minutes. That's me when I wake up. I'm like, it's only been a couple minutes, right? And it's like, no, it's 6 a.m. Like, God damn it. I hate it when the time changes. And mm-hmm. so it's dark outside. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be like three. No, it's six. Fuck. Okay. So Amy and Adam, like I said, they formed Kindred Spirits, that TV show. And they actually went back a little bit later. And it's because Jesse had talked to them. And he was like, you know, the first time that y'all were here, it was kind of like a novelty thing of the buildings being haunted. No harm, no foul. But now it seems a little more sinister. And he wants to make sure that the guest will be safe if he renovates the other buildings. Because they want to renovate that whole little compound. But he's scared like, oh gosh, if there's something sinister in this building, I renovate it. It's going to move over to like where I'm, I have people constantly being and stuff. Well, Jesse took them to the nursing home and he was like, before it was just footsteps and voices, but now there have been more apparitions. People were being touched and in some instances scratched. 
their hair pulled, and they were shoved. And that just wasn't the type of haunting it was before. The old folks home is between the nursing home and the hospital, and it's one of the oldest buildings and needs the most repairs. Well, Amy said when they were in the morgue before, she was like, yeah, it was kind of like weird vibes. And, and of course, shit happened. But this time, she could barely walk into the room. She said it felt so oppressive. Amy said that she felt like whatever was going on now, it seemed like it was growing from that area. Like it was a nucleus of this sinister haunting. They always felt like they were being watched. And Adam said they even decided to stop talking about their tactics because they felt like the spirits were listening. And like if they said, okay, let's go get the you know EVP and we're going to set that up here. It's like the spirits knew what they were going to do. And like they were just like, it was intelligent. So Amy said, again, like it was toying with them. It was like it was playing a game. Now on the show, the research showed that there was a man who had been violent before he died and he died by suicide in the old folks home. Well, the man's name was spelled differently in some of the records that the guy had found. So that night they went to the old folks home and they're like, you know, just asking for clarification, like what room was blah, 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 and all the things. Well, through that EVP session, the man's spirit seemed to converse with them and he told them that he was in room 19 and his correct name, because like I said, it had his name, Fred, but it had different last names. I was going to say, how did they misspell Fred? Yeah, no. But then uh, his full name was Fred Leitze. And Amy said it was really cool, though. It's kind of like maybe that was something that he needed. He needed his story to be heard one last time before he crossed over. Because she was like, this has never come up in research before. And then like for him to talk so much about it and like confirm things for them. She was just like, it was really cool to be part of that. Well, also, when they went into the nursing home, they saw a shadow figure peeking around a corner on one of the cameras. And they also saw the dark figure in person, too. Again, like, they really focused on the nursing home because that's where the most, like, oppressive feeling was. They said that something sounded like a kid. And they were like, why are we having these weird, like, sinister experiences? And with kids, because they shouldn't be in this building, really. And they kind of jumped to the conclusion that the child spirit was trying to tell them to leave the building because the bad man was coming, you know, kind of like just warning them. Well, right after that was one of the people, the guy who did the research, he was like walking with them and you can see him on camera kind of like dip down and he's a taller gentleman, but like there was nothing there. And so he's like, it felt like I was going to hit something. And so I ducked down, but there was nothing They put the SLS camera up there and you know how it has a little stick figure, guys? Mm -hmm. It looked like something was crawling on the ceiling where he ducked down from. That's a no for me. Right. And they were like, that's not a human spirit. Like, they don't crawl on the ceiling and shit. Well, Chip Coffee was there and he said that it felt like a low level demonic energy, like something very negative. And he said that he believed that the negative spirit was after the child spirits that were there. Honestly, while the spirit was playing games with them, it was like they were learning how the investigators were talking to the ghost kids and then could use that to also get them to interact with him and then like, you know, take their spirit away and all that. You know what I mean? Like, geez. Yeah, like preying on them. So it's like, oh, they had, you know, the teddy bear, like the boo bear or whatever mm-hmm. that 
you know, if they come by and touch it, blah, 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 how they talk to it. And so it's like, it was mimicking them doing the investigation to try to get the kids. I don't know, but I was like, that is a scary movie right there. Right. After they investigated everything, they all kind of were like, you know what? This might, they used a different word, but basically a tulpa from all the investigations, from all the people who go there and everyone's like, you know, oh, it's going to be something negative in here. Or, you know, like, yeah, you feel like someone's watching you. And so some people are going to be like, oh my God, someone's watching me and it was stalking me. And like, you know, just having these negative thoughts about it. And over time, it kind of was born out of that thought form of the negativity. Because they were like, this is unlike anything else that had been happening. And it was stuck in that nursing home. Like it didn't travel to different parts of the compound, basically. They got like everyone from the family, from people who had like attended school there, you know, like people who had like come back and just had good memories of the place. They all got around it and did some like meditation shit. And like they were saying, okay, if it was born by negativity and like negative thought, let's fight it with positive thoughts and like think about the times that you were here and like you had fun and all, you know, like all the things. And so they said it felt better, but I haven't had a follow-up. I didn't see anywhere there there was a follow-up of anything bad going on. So that's all I have on the Belvoir Winery, a.k.a. the Oddfellows home. I feel like that's the first quasi-resolution I've ever had in one of these. You know what I mean? Like, hey, let's actually, uh, here's a plan. This is what we do. Well, on the Dead Files, Amy gives them a plan. Yeah, but I don't know. But it, it will, it's like was you, an easy one. Yeah, it's like you got to bring this person in to do this, and yeah. then you got to do this, and it's like so many ingredients to make this dish to make it, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I can't follow what you're telling me. Okay, r- can you write this down for me, please? Right. But it's like they always have to get like six people in mm-hmm. to do it, and it's like this, they were just able to do it. Which it is interesting, because like, like if you thought about it, like, oh, they fought it with positivity. Okay, like Disney moment. But then, it, but if you think about it, and if you really believe that something can come from a thought form, like Slender Man and mm-hmm. all the things, it would be from a negative, scary place. And so if you could meditate on positivity and all of that, like it could combat that. And then I'm like, God, I need to do that with my life. Right. Because I do always go to the negative first. Same. Well, in my head, everything's better. I feel like it is. Because I mean, there. I feel like it is. And... One thing about them, they offer like paranormal stuff, but their bread and butter is the winery and the inn. They don't have to make money just from the paranormal things. Like this is an operating business. Like it's a destination for weddings and banquets and all the things. So I feel like they're not trying to do it for money. And also I think on that big seance podcast, Jesse said that uh, the ghost hunters and stuff reached out to him, not the other way around the first two times, because like they had heard of like, you know, the stuff going on. And again, it wasn't like they weren't scared. They were just like, something's here and it's weird, but nothing was scary to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wouldn't want to be alone in the building or anything, but like nothing bad had happened. So I just thought it was interesting. Like, he didn't call to say, hey, we want to be featured on your show, you know, and make some money from this. Like, no, they called him. So it just makes me feel like everything's a little bit more, like, up and up. So my story wasn't real bad either. Like, not real heavy. Mm -mm. I mean, besides the angry 
spirit going to prey on the kid spirits. Yeah, that was creepy. That got that got a little dark there. But he didn't get them. And I can't drink wine, but I definitely want to taste some of their wine. You can't drink anything. I know. But I love wine. Or I did. Don't love the hangovers. I always got a hangover with wine. Though. That's because we drank the cheap shit. Yeah, and like a whole bottle at a time or two. Yeah, I liked this story. I can't believe it. I got to keep you on your toes. Right? I know, and we really didn't argue about anything. Just wait. We still got to go eat from here. Oh, true. (laughs) I'm sure we will. (laughs) Yeah. We'll tell y'all about it on the next episode. And y'all let us know what y'all think about the episode. If you agree or disagree with our take on everything. But more importantly, remember. Creep it real. And and don't don't get scared. scared.